RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to this edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. On this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Chris Westcott, as we have a very special guest who we will introduce in just a moment. But I want to speak about the changes, Chris, in hockey that we have seen over the years. Well, I'll, I'll mention it now. Stan Fischler is our guest. He's covered the game for a long time continues to do so. And we're going to hear some of the stories he tells about the involving nature of the coverage of sport and people who have gotten involved in it and how the sport has grown. And it's great to see not only from those who play it, but those who cover it, those who manage it. And it's all part of what we as an organization and what the league as an organization is trying to enhance and and improve on. Yeah, absolutely. And and with that, I mean, March is Gender Equality Month uh, it, it, around the league. It's Women's History Month as well. And, um, you know, it's it's insane. It's it's not insane. It's awesome to see. But you look around the HBSC and the Devils, and there are a lot of women in power positions with the Devils and with HBSC. And that's something that you know, Stan Fisher will probably talk about, we'll ask him a little bit about that, but that's something that, that when he got started in hockey, he wouldn't have seen. And it's just evolved and it's grown. And there are some amazing women that work for us at the Devils and they are doing great things and they're in leadership positions and it's fantastic. And you're starting to see more and more each and every year, there's more and more inspiring stories involving gender equality and how hockey is indeed for everyone. And it, it, it's really great to see. It is great to see. And Stan Fischler's late wife, Shirley, was a journalism pioneer. He detailed her work covering the sport in a a recent uh, Sunday piece on NewJerseyDevils.com that that Stan writes. And she certainly should be in the conversation for the Hockey Hall of Fame for her position as a pioneer. There's no question that our guest should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Lester Patrick, trophy uh, award winner, uh, multiple books that he has written, all, uh, not all of them, but most of them have been must-reads. He was a must-read columnist for the Hockey News. He covered the sport on on radio, TV. He's obviously <laughs> written. There's nothing he hasn't done, and he continues to be an advocate for the sport, and I don't know what they're waiting for. He no, yeah, I, I, I don't know either. And Manny, I'll just let you in on a little thing. Stan Fischler is what I wanted to be when I got involved in hockey. I mean, he, you know, analysis, written bylines, books. I mean, how many books has he written? It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And a lot of them that he's ghostwritten that not many people know that he's worked yeah. on those projects as well. So that's, I mean, he's had an absolutely fantastic career. You mentioned the piece on, on Shirley, which is absolutely fantastic. I, I really uh, implore devils fans listening to this that are interested in that to go to NewJerseyDevils.com. Um, but no, it just absolutely fantastic. You're absolutely right. Just what a career. And it's, it's always great to talk to him. He has got uh, the memory of an elephant. Uh, he can tell stories with the best of them. Um, I actually get to correspond with him over email uh, quite a bit uh, for all the stuff that he's writing for our website. And uh, just the stories that he tells, you know, are just fantastic. And he's still on top of the game, uh, not just from a devil's perspective, but from a league wide 
perspective because, or perspective, I should say, because he has a, a, an email newsletter that he has just started up recently called Java Jive, and it's going great guns. And I would encourage people to look around for it, subscribe to it. Great insights from Stan and his correspondence. By the way, an elephant plays a role in the end of this conversation. <laughs> And so we'll make Absolutely. sure. People- I was trying to tee it up. I was trying yeah, to tee it you up. You did a beautiful job of it. So we begin with an elephant story, sort of, and we definitely will end with an elephant story as we welcome to the podcast a man who will celebrate a birthday. I won't say what it is, but I hope I get to celebrate this number. He'll celebrate a birthday at the end of this month. The inimitable, the maven, Stan Fisher. So it is indeed a great pleasure for us to welcome the Maven, Stan Fischler, to Speak of the Devils. Long distance as he comes to us from northern Israel. Stan, as we record this, it's a little after 11 o'clock in New Jersey. What time is it there? It's uh, a little after 6 p.m. And I ask that because it's a seven-hour time difference because you've got this new publication that you've been sending out, uh, Java Jive. And or maybe it's Java Jive, but the point is you're you're on top of the NHL world, and with the time difference, I'm wondering how hard it is to stay on top of everything. I just moved my clock around. <laughs> right. but anyhow, listen, Maddie, Maddie, where'd you go, Maddie? Right. I'm right here, my friend. Oh yeah, you said that you said that it was a pleasure to have me on, and I had to tell you. And my father had a great line. If you said to him, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, he would have said, my pleasure is pinochle. Wood <laughs> <laughs> gin, wood gin. Exactly. Card game or alcohol? Oh, card game. Card game. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But seriously, I mean, is it easy to stay on top of what's going on in the NHL? Because you're doing a great job with that and, of course, the work you provide for NewJerseyDevils.com. Uh, the, uh, the biggest challenge is seeing a game live. Now, normally, if uh, NHL games are on at 7 o'clock at night or something like that, it's 2 in the morning here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to really, uh, some, some, you know, my grandchildren will take a nap or my son Simon will take a nap. And, but uh, that's the big, the, the big thing. And, uh, you know, like... Uh, Last night, uh, I wanted to check, uh, you know, there were games last night, NHL games last night. So I have to wait, and if I am not watching, I have to wait until, say, 5.30 in the morning when I get up, because if I'm doing my Java drive, I have to get all the games, and the games on the West Coast, uh, you know they're they're late, and I was you know I was very interested in uh, a, a couple of the uh, West Coast games last night, particularly uh, the one in Calgary because I'm a big Daryl Sutter fan. That's because I like silent movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a winning it was a winning debut for Daryl behind so, the Calgary. I have a, I have a. a, a a, a correspondent in Calgary, uh, uh, Debbie Ellickson. She's uh, very good. And when uh, I I did a thing uh, the other day, uh, who was the most intimidating coach in terms of the media? And it was a tie between Tortorella and Daryl Sutter. <laughs> and then uh, Debbie wrote me a little note. She said, but... If you get Daryl away from the, you know, from the media, from from the uh, the microphone or the camera, uh, he's a great guy, and I know that for a fact that he's a great guy because uh, I before I moved and I was still doing the games, I think he might have been scouting, and he came up from behind in the press room and he gave me a big, you know, handshake and how I it was like it was a, he was one of my uncles, so uh, but. You know, that's the challenge. Tortorella is Tortorella. What are you going to do? Well, what, what you do is you turn them off. That's what you do. <laughs> well, uh, John is good away from the public spotlight as well. And I think we find right. that with, with a lot of coaches. But I will tell you that that Sutter persona precedes the entire family, at least the older 
brothers. The younger ones, not as much, Richie and Ronnie. But I remember when Brent Sutter got hired as coach, and I only had known him and you know his brothers and this kind of taciturn look that they have, and they always have a look on their face that they just ate something that didn't go well with their stomach. You know, that it's just the way they are. And Chico Rush, I said, Chico, tell me about Brent Sutter. He goes, oh, you're going to love them. Like, yeah, that's how they are outside. But once you get to know them, they have your back. They're the best. They're fun loving. They're enjoyable to be around. And I found Brent to be that way. And any of the Sutters that I've gotten to know over the years. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you have to turn them around. I uh, I did a little thing with my, uh, I guess it was uh, Java Jive. I told the story about how the Steve Allen, remember the great Steve Allen, the uh, Tonight host, the great yeah. town. So, uh, so around Christmas, when the you know when the show was really very very popular, just before Christmas, they had a uh, the Rangers come down to Rockefeller Center. This is when it was still a six team league. And uh, Alan got on the ice, and they had the nets there. And he invited Roger Bed to skate down on a breakaway. And as Rod got the puck, Alan turned the net around the other way, and he said, "Turn about is fair play." <laughs> now, what you Anyhow. Uh, Stan, I wanted to go back to uh, you talked about the difficult coaches to deal with. As a longtime hockey journalist, I mean, how much pride do you take when you can get one of those guys to crack and give you something good? Well, I I got uh, Lindy Ruff to crack once, but uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a very funny situation. Now it wasn't at the time he was coaching Buffalo, and we were we this was an Islander game, and I had a producer who was kind of new. As the late great John McComb would say, no, no names at the cafe discreet. And uh, before the uh, the morning practice, the producer told me that ask him how he feels or how he would feel if the Sabers lose the game tonight, they'll be eliminated from a playoff berth. And then I got that in an email from somebody else. I forget where it, you know, so I had this double thing. And uh, so now I'm there. This is in Buffalo. And uh, Lindy is, you know, Lindy is there. And uh, the the, the local guys are asking him the questions. And then uh, I popped in and I I said, uh, Lindy, so uh, if you guys lose tonight, uh, you'll be out of a playoff berth. And uh, he looked at me as if I had seven heads <laughs> and, <laughs> and made some some remark that uh, wanted me, you know, made me want to jump out of the room and, you know, and wash my face. Uh, and it turned out that I got bad information. It was not. It was not so. One of the Buffalo uh, guys told me right away, and then of course I went back to producing, and, and uh, they checked and they apologized. And uh, later on, I, you know, I went to uh, Lindy's room and I, uh, the coach's room, and I apologized. And he was great about it. He was great about it. But at the time, he wasn't great about it. I don't blame him. <laughs> I don't blame him. I've, uh, you know, I've had a lot of uh, good times with Lindy. Tremendous. Stan, why do you still do what you do? What is it about this sport? What is it about the media that keeps you ticking all these many years? Well, I'm surprised you asked that because my answer is I've never grown up. <laughs> it's a good reason. It's, this keeps you young, this business and this sport. You, I have to tell you this story because it's all relevant. This has got to be got to be at least 20 years ago. And I was uh, doing the Islanders games then. And one of my interns, her name was Joni Dottillo, and she had been with me the previous season. And she saw, you know, how crazy I was. And I did get crazy. And I went to her and I said, I want you to know, I want to know, Joni, I'm going to be guy who's going to be 
straight, no fooling, no, 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 craziness. So that lasted for one period. <laughs> I, 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 I can, well, I'll give you another example. Uh, last week, we were watching uh, an Islander game here because it went on at noon. Mm -hmm. And we were able to see it at seven, our time. And it's it's the same thing. Once the thing, you know, the juices are gone, it's not like getting an electric shock, but it's, remember those things where you got on the, it's like a, a scale, but the thing would shake and shake and it would make your feet supposedly. So I get excited. What can I tell you? I get excited. I, what, but what, I think, what is it? What, what excites you about it? What when that puck well, drops? Well, what, is it still as exciting as the first game you saw? Yeah, I'll tell you. I was at a Devil game when I after I retired, I came in. Uh, it was a boss. They were playing you there, and I watched the game for a while uh, with Chip. He was doing TV. Uh huh. And. Uh, I was, or maybe no, he was with you. Actually, he was with you, and I was a nervous wreck. You know, I'm there, I'm rooting for the Devils, and uh, it was a very close game, and they beat the Bruins. It was a very exciting, uh, very exciting thing. So somebody else could sit there and uh, whatever will be, will be, and I'm, that's not the way I am. And I blame it on the Hungarian side of my family. <laughs> <laughs> and I blame it on somebody, right? That's right. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, it goes back to somebody wrote a piece. I don't remember who it was, but the piece was that you you uh, get to reach a certain age, and then you don't. Uh, some people just don't go beyond that age, and I I feel that in my case, I never got past fourteen. <laughs> I strived, but I never did. So what are you going to do? Uh, do you remember your first hockey byline? Your first published one? Well, uh, interestingly, I, uh, I do. I do. I wrote about it uh, just the other day. Uh, I must have been about, this must have been about the uh, third or fourth year. So I must have been about 10 or 11. So that would have been in either 42 or 43. And the New York Times Magazine had some sort of uh, story about various sports. And I don't even remember whether hockey was mentioned or not, but I have a feeling it wasn't mentioned. But the point is, it annoyed me that hockey didn't get a good place. So I wrote a, I wrote a letter to the magazine and I said, uh, you got you guys don't get it right. Hockey is the greatest sport of all because not only do you have these guys on skates, which are like artificial feet, and they're holding a stick, which is like an artificial hand, and it's the fastest game, team game in the world, and and you even sometimes you have even fighting, and sometimes you have wrestling, and you have all these things blending into one so therefore it's the greatest and they ran my letter with of course oh, wow. with my name my name I'm, i think they ran about four paragraphs with the point is that's the first time i ever saw my name in print but my first my first hockey byline would have been i mean an actual uh, newspaper byline was uh, my first year newspapering was in uh, 19, let's see, I, I was, uh, it would have been about 1955. And I started writing for the, I worked for the Rangers in publicity in the 54, 55 season. That's where I met all the guys and newspaper guys and, and, uh, Dana Mosley was with the Daily News. He was the NHL guy for the Daily News. And he retired, and I, he was doing the hockey news. And I had been friendly with Ken McKenzie and stuff. But I'd been writing hockey before then. But this was the first NHL genuine byline. 
first one. Now, actually, it was on television uh, before that because I was still in college, and I it was on with uh, Jimmy Powers and one of the Rangers. So that would have been about 52. I was still at Brooklyn College. I was on with Jimmy Powers and Paul Ronte uh, was a ranger. He was a center. So I was on, actually on television uh, before I even got out of college. And uh, I, was, I, I, was, I was surprised that I wasn't nervous. I really was surprised. But the guy, the host, Jimmy Powers, he was a swell guy. And Ronte was a wonderful, wonderful, good player too. Very good player. So you've been in media for 70 years. You've seen hockey from, well, they call it the original six, but as you've defined previously, it's not the original six then, is it? No, as a matter of fact, my first game was in 1930 uh, when I was seven. I, I don't know whether you know the story or not, how I wound up at the hockey game. Is this is this your dad was taking you out? Tell, for those who don't know it, but I, I might have well, heard it before. I was, in 1939, the biggest movie for kids was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's, you know, like Star Wars and so on and so forth. And uh, so my father said, look, I'm going to take you to see Snow White. Well, was a, every kid had to see Snow White. And I was playing at the Globe Theater on Broadway. It was about Broadway and 47th, and um, that was the first run. It was a big deal. It was a Sunday, Sunday. So we leave, we get in the subway, and the sun was out. And we get out, uh, the nearest subway station was 50th and 8th, and we get out, and the rain is coming down like crazy. We didn't have an umbrella, and we were right by the old garden. The old garden was 8th Avenue and 50th. We actually got out of the subway, and there's the garden, and my father didn't have an umbrella. And in those days, they had uh, hockey doubleheaders on Sunday afternoons. It was a Met League game and a Rover game. And my father <laughs> looked up at the rain, looked up at the garden marquee, says, I'm not taking you to see Snow, uh, to, uh, see Snow White. I'm going to take you to a hockey game. I started bawling my head off. My father paid no attention. He dragged me into it. I was furious. What the hell? What is this hockey thing? Anyhow, I was stuck. You know, I was uh, we sat down and I was angry. And I see my father's rooting for the Rovers, which was the home team. And I rooted for the other team to get even with them just because I was so mad. The team I was rooting for, they were the Washington Eagles. And in those days, my on the radio was the Lone Ranger. And the Washington guy, they had a guy in Washington who was blonde. I may believe he was a Lone Ranger. Name was Normie Burns. He scored the hat trick. Washington won. My father's team lost. Ah, this is great. This is great. The next day, I go to school in PS 54. I was in the third grade, and Mrs. Gould called on me to do a show and tell. I remembered that. Goldie. Hockey game was very strange. He had these big pads and a big fat stick, and he stopped the buck. So I did the goalie, and Mrs. Gould gave me an A. He is great. <laughs> My father's <laughs> team lost. I got an A. And next Saturday, he took me to see Snow White, and I said, let's go to another hockey game tomorrow. And we did, and I saw the Baltimore Orioles played the Rovers. His team lost again, and I never stopped going, and that's how it happened. I have to thank Snow White for that. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> what's, the, what's the craziest thing you ever wrote? Something really? that you all... Yeah, just something that stands out from the pack. The craziest thing was, because I could have gotten killed, when I was working for the New York <laughs> Journal American, uh, I covered the Rangers. So this would have been around uh, 60s, uh, in the 60s. And what happened was they had the rookie goalie, Eddie Jockerman. And he wasn't good at the beginning. and. Uh, I wrote something uh, critical about him. And about that time, I wanted to do some uh, offbeat stuff. And I said, what a great idea it would be if I, I always wanted to be a goalie, if I 
you know, got the goalie stuff on. And I asked Roger Bear, who was a buddy of mine, because I helped ghost his book, uh, if he'd uh, let me, you know, play God, go to a practice. And after the practice, he'd take uh, 15 shots at me. And in those days, it was a very easy to get along. You know, they weren't worried about insurance. Maybe they were hoping I'd get killed or whatever. In any event, that, so they said I could do it. And we arranged to do it at Skateland out in the island. Well, that day, which was right after I'd put the rap on Eddie Jockman, they sent him down to the American League. He got demoted. And when I went down to put the goalie thing on, he was packing up. I was alone <laughs> with the room, room with this guy. It was terrible, terrible thing. So anyhow, I go out on the ice now with Roger Bear. I had only my glasses on, no mask, no nothing. Nobody knew from masks then, anyhow. And the whole deal was he was going to take 15 shots of various kinds. And this is exactly what happened. I was wearing, uh, the the other goalie was Cesar Maniago. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Cesar was very tall. And therefore, I was wearing the tall guy's equipment. I was not, not that tall. I was about five eight, whatever. Anyhow, so Rod's taking off, and he's deking me, and he's doing—he's—he's he's got fourteen out of fourteen. Okay, so for the last shot, he takes a wrist shot, and it, I figured it was going to my left, so I throw out my left hand, and the big glove goes flying off my hand. And it hits the puck, the puck in midair, and that was my one save. <laughs> Actually, the glove made the save in midair, but it didn't go in, so it was my save. But that was uh, that was a very scary thing because you know once you put on the equipment and you don't know what the heck you're doing, and this guy's a Hall of Famer, uh, that that was very memorable, very memorable. Uh, speaking of memorable. I don't know if you have the answer to this, but I feel like writers always have like one lead that they're just so proud of that kind of sticks with them through the years. Do you have like your favorite lead that you've ever written? Uh, when I was working for the Journal American, uh, before I got the range of beat, I was on the uh, desk at the time. And the way it worked then, I don't know how it works on papers now, but Dave Anderson was the Ranger beat man. He later went to the Times. And this was the playoff in uh, 62 when Doug Harvey was the Rangers player coach. It was a great year. And uh, the Rangers made the playoffs, which was the first time in five years. It was a big, big deal. And they're playing the Maple Leafs. And the Maple Leafs won the first two games in Toronto, and now they're back to play the next two at the Garden. So Dave was writing the stories, and I was on the desk editing the stories. But if you edit the stories, you have to have to, you also have to put a headline on it, okay? And if you wrote a best headline that month, you won fifty bucks. By the way, I didn't know that at the time. So anyhow, the Rangers star center was Earl Ingerfield. He sent it for Andy Bathgate and Dean Prentice, and he had missed the first two games. Earl missed the first two games, and now he was going to come back into the lineup for the first game at the Garden, the third game of the series. And Dave and the Rangers need scoring. They needed scoring. They weren't doing. They weren't scoring well without him. So Dave writes this story about Earl Lingerfield coming back. And I edited the story. And then I put a headline on the top. And my headline was, Rusty Rangers Need Shot of Earl. <laughs> I got 50 bucks for that. I was going to say, did you win? All right. <laughs> I got 50 All right. Bucks for that. <laughs> If I remember, uh, Roland Dratch, who's now the producer for the New Jersey Devils, was a stage manager for you. 
And at one point, he looks down the hallway at the Meadowlands and he sees Mike Liute making his way toward the studio. And Mike is going, where's Fischler? And Roland ducks his head into the studio. Does Mike Liute have some issue with you? And your retort was, oh, I wrote something negative in the hockey news about him this week. Well, he's coming down the hallway. Lock the door. <laughs> and Liut's now pounding on the door outside. Come on out, Stan. I got something to say. Gratch reads Grimm's fairy tales. I mean, it wasn't all that way. Oh, but come I, on. Don't, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. It's a great story. Uh, but the worst of all, uh, where I actually was in a room, I was doing a feature for a magazine called Sport Magazine when it was big. Sport was a very popular magazine. And I was assigned to do a story on Bobby Russo of the Canadians. And everything was set up. I went up, flew up there, and I was going to interview him the next the morning after the, the game. They're playing the Maple Leafs. It's a great Canadian team. Toe Blake was the coach. He was the, he holds the world's record for slamming doors. He slammed the door the night they played the Rangers and the Rocket broke some sort of record, but the Rangers beat them. And we went to the uh, room to, you know, and he slammed that door. I thought the garden was going to fall down. So anyhow, now he's, he's coach of the Canadians and they're playing the Maple Leafs on a Thursday night. They were Beating, they beat the Leafs every single game at the at the forum. And this night, Leafs beat them 6-0. Well, I wanted to uh, you know see Bobby Russo after the game. So I went down there and there was a bunch of writers. And one of my best friends was with the French Canadian paper in Quebec, Le Soleil, Claude La Rochelle. Great, great guy, great guy. And he knew I, I was there, and he says, so I, I'm going to go in and uh, see Bobby Russo. And I don't know whether he cautioned me. I, I guess I, it was just stupid. But while these guys were waiting outside, I drifted into the room. And now I'm standing in the middle of a room, and there's no other writer there. And Blake walks in. And he starts screaming at me, what the heck are you, blah, blah, blah. a lot of ex expletives, expletives, expletives. And I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm here to see Bobby Russo. And he, and I, and I, I walked back to uh, my buddy and I said, he says to me, I forgot to tell you, you shouldn't have gone into the room. <laughs> Thanks. I Thanks said, for the advice. But that was, that was the, uh, that was tough. That was tough. You also had a feud with Wayne Gretzky. That was, I believe, peace was brokered at the Nassau Coliseum uh, in an interview you conducted with him before an Islander game. I'm not sure whether he was with the Rangers at the time. Rangers. It was with the Rangers. Rangers. Okay. So what was that, what was that tiff all about? Well, uh, we didn't like the Oilers because they won the cup in 84. You need another reason. It was just one of, you know, it was one of these nice uh, rivalries like the uh, Edmonton writers like Terry Jones, where he did a whole thing with the Billy Smith, you know, he was wanted because he was, you know, sticking guy. So um, I, I must have written something that, uh, you know, you can't compare Wayne with uh, Mike Bossy. Mike Bussey doesn't have a guy like Dave Semenko running, writing shotgun for him and all that, blah, 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 blah. And now uh, Wayne is with the Rangers. And I uh, requested uh, that he come on with me between periods and uh, they uh, said no. So the next time they came in, I requested again and uh, he said he would he would he would do it, and he came and and you know there's a, a word a Yiddish word called mensch means like a super person great great you know special special special, and Wayne came in and I said Wayne let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> uh, what I remember you, I was you, there I remember. Oh you do 
Oh, I do. do. I forgot who he played for, but I remember um, I remember this tension in the air because now peace yeah. is going to come to the world and he walks in and, well, you finish the story. But I do remember it, yeah. Well, uh, he, he, he cut to the chase right away. He mentioned, you know, uh, what I had written and blah, blah, blah. And, but it was like, uh, it was like the armistice. <laughs> by, the time, by the time we got done, uh, I mean, how can you not like this guy? Really? Yeah. Well, and I remember that we thought there would not necessarily be fireworks because, you know, Gretzky wasn't isn't that type of guy. But we thought there'd be a little something. And it was OK, you know, take, like kind of take your shot. And he was like, yeah, forget it. it's in the past. And we were like, that's it. But finally, but finally, he wound up talking to you again. He wound up talking and we became good friends. And he yes. did a lot of when uh, Simon, my son Simon, uh, was waiting for a heart transplant in 93, uh, Wayne was very, very gracious to him. And when Simon was working at uh, Cosby's uh, store uh, in the garden, uh, Wayne dropped in. He, you know, he was, he's been a pal ever since. I, uh, I, and of course, he's, uh, you know, Wayne is like a lot of the players. He comes from... Uh, uh, a, a terrific family. His uh, his father Walter uh, died uh, very recently, and uh, uh, you know Walter was a phenomenal father. The, the family. Same thing with Bobby Orr. Same thing with Bobby Orr. Give me a great Bobby Orr story. When he was in his prime, a reporter from Life magazine went up to Parry Sound, uh, you know, do a piece on him. And he thought it would be a good idea also to talk to Bobby Orr's mother. Her name was Arva, A-R-V-A, Arva Orr. So the writer, <laughs> the writer is interviewing her, and uh, he says to her, so tell me, uh, Mrs. Orr, uh, what do you think of your son? And she says, which one? Because <laughs> <laughs> he had an older brother, actually, who, who played hockey, but, you know, they... Salt of the earth, really, really, and uh, and uh, this is way the way it's it's been. I mean, you look at the Sutters, the Sutters. I mean, you talk about a family that uh, paid their dues uh, when uh, when they, you know they had a farm in Viking Alberta, and the begin and there was you know there was seven seven boys. The, the, the uh, seventh one, Gary, was a good hockey player, but he. He got married and he kind of gave up hockey, but he, but the point is. Eventually won a, a British Columbia lotto, by the way. He won a big prize in the BC lotto one year. Yeah, I think it was right. yeah so he well, won too. Listen to this, listen to this. They were, they didn't have running water and they didn't have electricity. They had an outhouse, of course, the farm, they began to develop the farm and they were eventually able to build, you know, uh, build a new house and everything. But that's, that's tough stuff. And, uh, and again, uh, it was a wonderful uh, uh, Lewis, I don't have to get the, his uh, wife's name. Oh, great. And I mean, you, the, the products, you know, these guys never, it's, uh, the family is a tremendous, been a tremendous influence, tremendous. There's so many good hockey legacies that start on a farm. Larry Robinson grew up on a farm as well. And there's just so many out there. Um, It's just, it, it, it builds the right kind of character for a sport like hockey. You go through stuff like a a Saskatchewan winter and same thing with Gordie Howe. Uh, You know, they, these people were poor. You know, a lot of these guys were wearing hand-me-downs because they couldn't afford to buy things new. So uh, that's why hockey players are special. And you mentioned a very special human, Walter, um, and you mentioned the good upbringing that Wayne had. Uh, do you have a good Walter Gretzky story that you'd like to share with us? No, because I, I, never, uh, I never went to uh, Brantford. I, uh, I did... Uh, I worked with Kevin Lowe of the Oilers. I ghosted his book, Champions, and my wife Shirley uh, and I, and my son Simon, my younger guy, went. We went up to uh, the Lowe family had a 
dairy. And uh, we went up to, uh, it was maybe uh, 20 miles outside of Montreal. And we spent time uh, and, and met, the, you know, met the family. And then we had a big dinner at a, a restaurant. And uh, same thing, you know, it's a, uh, the family. The family was big. And, you know, these, you know, the, the thousands of stories about the parents driving the kids early. You know, I have that with my grandchildren here. My son is driving them all the time. And uh, to be dedicated. Really do. You had a absolutely fantastic. Well, you have a weekly series on our website. I'm going to do a shameless plug here, Stan. Uh, Sundays with Stan. Every Sunday, you can catch something from Stan Fisher. Love it uh, on NewJerseyDevils.com. Most recently, you wrote about your wife Shirley, and it was absolutely fantastic. It is Gender Equality Month in the NHL. Uh, I, I'm wondering who to you are some of the top most influential women in hockey history. Well, uh, certainly, if you really want to go back, the uh, Bentleys, X and Doug Bentley were the great Hall of Famers, but Bill Bentley, the father, they had a huge family, and they had a Masters hockey team. Girls, Bentley girls, to to play hockey, and uh, they were playing hockey uh, uh, then. But, you know, Manon Rayum, uh, who uh, did that uh, bit with Phil Esposito, that was a great story. And uh, you know, it's hard to imagine a woman playing goal then. It was hard to imagine. Now. When my grandchildren play, we were at a game uh, just, my granddaughter is playing with guys. And uh, at least two of the goals were girls. And it actually made me think that the first woman who plays in the National Hockey League will be a goalie. Because I'm seeing how these these girls who were playing, uh, you know, my, my granddaughter is 12, Abigail, and she's playing with older, you know, they're olders, uh, but she's very good. She's, she plays defense. The other day, I suggested she might want to try playing wing because she's a good skater, but no, she loves playing defense. But uh, certainly uh, Manon Rayum, and then you had Cami Granado. Granado, when I won the Lester Patrick uh, Award, I was on the dais. Cami was one of the uh, winners. Uh, very influential. Very, uh, very, very special. And you have uh, the Haley Wickenheiser in, in Canada. Uh, these are the big ones. These are the big ones. And... Uh, after my wife uh, won her case to get entrance to the uh, previously all-male uh, press box, uh, about four or five years later, uh, Robin Herman of the Times was the first one to do uh, dressing room interviews. And uh, that was a big step forward. That was because even then, uh, Harold Ballard, when he uh, ran the Maple Leafs, he still would not let women into the uh, Toronto dressing room. That took a, uh, a while longer. Uh, also, uh, Bobby Rosenfeld. Now, you wouldn't remember her. She was a great Canadian athlete from Toronto. And Bobby Rosenfeld uh, wrote a column regularly uh, for the Toronto Globe and Mail. I have scrapbooks going back to uh, 46 when I started to subscribe to the, I was a Leaf fan then. And uh, so she was a pioneer also. I can't, uh, can't forget about her. So uh, those are some of the best. And it started, as you mentioned, with Shirley knocking on the door, not knocking on the door, she banged on the door and said, hey, wait a minute, I deserve to be here. I, I can cover this team and I have a credential and I should be in this press box. And she won her case with the uh, New York City uh, Human Rights Commission, I guess it is. Uh, tell us a little bit about Shirley Walton Fischler, who I had the privilege 
and good fortune to know. Uh, but tell our audience a little bit about her and her ways and her hockey acumen. Well, she went to the University of Michigan at the time when Red Berenson was the uh, collegiate star. He was a wonderful, he was from Regina. And uh, so she was exposed to hockey uh, before we met. Uh, when we met, which was uh, in the uh, spring of 67, she didn't even know uh, uh, that I was in hockey. She, I don't think she knew what I did except sing off key. But uh, <laughs> um, so until the occasional joke. <laughs> so it wasn't until the fall, and now we were, as they say, I used to say we were going steady. I took her to a, a Rangers were playing the Canadians in an exhibition. Turned out it was a very significant game uh, because the Canadians had two rookies who were trying to make the team, both defensemen. One was Serge Savard, one was Carol Vanney. And uh, I wasn't working the game, just went for the fun of it. It was an exhibition game. And uh, after the game, I said to her, what did you think of the uh, you know, game? And she said, there were a few guys who I was very impressed with. <laughs> and she said, Serge Savard and Carol Vadney. Serge Savard went into the Hall of Fame. Vadney played about a bazillion years. So I, I, I knew then that she, uh, as we used to say in Brooklyn, she knew her onions. She knew her uh, hockey pucks all right. But the thing was that uh, now I'm doing my thing, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a hockey writer. And of course, she loved the game and she started to go to the games. And uh, uh, she, when I was doing Devils, she went to every single game at the, at the old barn. Uh, uh, and she became, uh, you know, very friendly with a lot of the folks, a uh, guy like Chico and, you know, every, you know uh, Sylvia Santiago, all the regulars, and uh, she was like, uh, you know, one of the crowd. And uh, she knew the game, and she took it very seriously. And uh, unfortunately, in 94, when uh, the Rangers won game six, we, we had a very tough time at dinner <laughs> that night. <laughs> Very, 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 very tough. Uh, because she took it, uh, she took it like I took it. We, we we got very emotionally involved. What can I tell you? Well, she was a great journalist, great person, and a great partner in life. We have to wrap things up here, Stan, real quick. Final thoughts. What do you think about this year's Devils team? Well, it's a team in uh, transition. It's a team that certainly is uh, banking on youth. Uh, the goaltending episode with Crawford was a setback just in terms of the uh, the way it happened. But, you know, it opened up a shot for, for Blackwood. Uh, I, I have to tell you something about Hughes and why it's very, uh, uh, it, in a way, ex expectations come with all the publicity. And he needs... This is his second year. He needs a third year. And I'll tell you a bit of history that people don't realize. You've heard of John Bellevue, arguably the greatest center of all time. Some people will say that with reason. Now, John Bellevue was playing in the Quebec Senior League. He did not come up to the Canadians when they wanted him because he had such a great deal with the Quebec Aces that he stayed with them for two years because he was making big bucks there and he was the biggest hero in, in Quebec City. So finally, he agrees to come to the Canadians. Belleville was a flop. He was a flop in his first year and he was a flop in his second year. And finally, Toe Blake said to him, you know what your problem is? You're a cushion and people are pushing you around. And they're pushing you around. You got to start getting tough. And you can look it up in, his, in the record. His third year, he was like 150 minutes in penalties. And that's when he started to, you know, to play. 
Now, this guy had two years on the top minor league with the Quebec Aces, two more years with the Canadians, and he still wasn't. So Hughes needs a little more time. A little more time. What is he, 20 years old, 21? Won't be 20 until later this year. He's still 19. What are you waiting for? <laughs> so there you go. He, he, so uh, he needs more patience, and he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Well, Stan, we'll end it on that note because that's an up note, and uh, I love that Beliveau, uh reference because happened to, happen pa- to Guy Lafleur too. Patience, patience, patience. Oh, it took him a couple of years. There yeah, you go. Not, not everybody comes out of the box and and lights right. up the hockey world. Right. Stan, always good to see you. Uh, best wishes to uh, you and the family, and hopefully you'll make your way to North America soon, and we'll get a chance to say hello face-to-face. You forgot to ask me one more question. And that is? What did the elephant say when the crocodile bit off his trunk? What did he say? Very funny, very funny. <laughs> and it was that kind of uh, humor that attracted Shirley Walton Fischler to you, low those many years. <laughs> Stan, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thank Be you, well. Sam. Be well. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, put one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. And so, Chris, as we wrap things up, so good to hear from Stan. You know, his story started at A, and sometimes they wind not just to B, but then <laughs> C and D and E. But that's because he knows so much. So much history he has been an observer of, and it's just great to have him share some, just a small arsenal of the stories that he has. I would love to just take a look through what's probably a hundred boxes of hockey notes throughout the years of his, um, you know, I mean, he's probably, he's probably got the, the, the short scripts, so maybe you can't read them very well, but uh, he's probably got some stories in there that he hasn't even retold um, just with his years of covering hockey and, uh, going through the things that he's done, um, you know, the places that he's seen, the places he's been. Uh, it's just fantastic. It's always fantastic to hear from him. I personally, as a someone that's came up in journalism and, and, and writing, like I love hearing that stuff like first byline. He was 11 years old. He sends a letter because he's <laughs> angry that hockey is not, you know, being profiled uh, correctly in a newspaper and they publish his work. I think yeah. right then and there, he should have been like, I think I'm going to be a writer. For the rest of and, my career. <laughs> and and what a great writer he has been. And to think that if the sun was shining on that Sunday afternoon, Stan oh, <laughs> and his dad would have been witnessing Snow White. And who knows if hockey would have ever come into his life. What we are pleased about, though, is the fact that the weather wasn't clement. He did fall in love with hockey. It's been our pleasure to have him chronicle it for us all these many years. By the way, I'm not sure if that joke was very, very <laughs> funny. But it was a very, very good podcast with Stan Fischler, and we appreciate his time, of course. The Maven, the great one, joining us on this edition. Chris, thanks very much. Hey, thank you, Matty. And that'll wrap things up for Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For Chris Westcott, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the show. I know you did. We'll see you next time. Thanks for your company. Bye-bye. 